What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you're gonna pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. two-man power trip of wrestling and you are listening to episode number 236 of the two-man power trip and if you didn't know by now my name is chad and usually right here i would say that i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only john paz but unfortunately john is a tad bit under the weather so i will be joining you personally 
and all by myself for this intro for an episode that we have been really eager to get out to you for quite a while, and he would be, count him, our third WWE Hall of Famer of the calendar year 2017. So far, he is the one and only Nikolai Volkov, and we are so incredibly excited, like I said, to get this episode out to you because how can you go wrong when you think about a guy like Nikolai Volkov? Obviously, he's a staple of the 1980s WWF global expansion, an era that saw so many megastars come from all different territories from across the great land, whether it was up in Canada, in Calgary with Stu Hart and them coming down to the WWF, whether it was the Mid-South Territory or the AWA or out in Portland or out in San Francisco or, hey, down in North Carolina with Mid-Atlantic. If they came to the WWF, odds are they were there for a reason and they were there to become an outright megastar. And that is what so many people from that era that quote, LJN era, the wrestling superstar era as professional wrestling took the entertainment world by storm. And Nikolai Volkov right smack in the middle of that, teaming with the Iron Sheik, quite possibly the most hated man in professional wrestling at that point because the foreign conflicts, whether it was with Iran or whether it was with Russia, were so strong in the 1980s. And All you got to do is kind of just go look over any bit of pop culture, whether it's a comic book or a cartoon show or a movie or a television show or a book. The natural villain was usually the Russians. And I know kind of, uh, you know, in a little bit of a political uh, rhetoric here, but, you know, that's kind of what people want to say now is that the Russians are behind uh, everything bad going on in the world. But in the 1980s, it really was something that, we really tried to beat you over the head with that the Russians were the bad guys and we were going to take down the Russians at uh, pretty much any and all costs. And Nikolai Volkov, whether it was with that big smile and singing that Russian national anthem, obviously Nikolai would become a pretty big target for teams like the U.S. Express and teams like the Killer Bees. And in singles competition with the man himself, Hulk Hogan, because anytime you got in the ring with Nikolai, you knew you were going to be in for a stiff fight, a real rough and tumble kind of uh, bout. And when he had his tag team partner, the Iron Sheik, with him, you knew it was going to be uh, even more interesting because some of those promos that the two of them could put together, it was real magic. And Nikolai gets into it in the interview talking about how the Sheik and himself were such polar opposites that the Sheik liked to go out and party and Nikolai was really a reserved guy like to keep to himself and when you get two different personalities like that usually the chemistry is uh, off the charts when it comes to professional wrestling and those two really created some memorable moments and the big thing that I'd like you to take out of this is that in 1985 at Wrestlemania 1 the only title change to happen on the inaugural Wrestlemania was the WWF tag team titles going from Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda, the U.S. Express, over to Sheik and Volkov, the hated duo that came away with the WWF tag team championship. And like I said, the only title change on the original Wrestlemania, which is a footnote and a trivia piece that is kind of lost in time. And hopefully we can get that back out there to the masses because it really is a, a true staple of WrestleMania, the first ever title change. But outside of just that 1985 expansion era, 
Nikolai had a great career that carried on into the late 80s with his tag team partner, Boris Zukov, and you will be hearing a lot from Boris Zukov in the very soon-to-be future, and maybe even sooner than you think. But Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov forming the Bolsheviks, really, they became a, uh, a great staple of the late 80s WWF. So you had him kind of crossing over both genres as the 80s kind of moved on and the WWF was more established and everybody was really household names. The Bolsheviks were a great undercard team that uh, worked with the British Bulldogs. They worked with the Rougeau brothers. They worked with the Powers of Pain. And they ended up having a pretty good almost three-year run together before Nikolai Volkov, if you can believe it, finally turned face, embraced the American way and sewed that American flag to his ring jacket. And we got the face version of Nikolai Volkov teaming with who else but Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a great summer of 1990 into 1991 where Nikolai Volkov ended up battling his tag team partner Boris Zukov in another memorable flag match on a Saturday night's main event. And it was just a great uh, kind of cap on the WWF run of Nikolai Volkov, but he would go on to be on the independent scene for many, many years and still, even to this day, kind of lacing up the boots every so often. And it's really cool to see that he still has that passion. He still likes to get in the ring because his career goes back so far and spans so many territories and so many years. And really, he, he loves talking about those old days, and we really hope you enjoy that part of the interview as well as the WWF stuff, which John and I just absolutely love talking about. So as you strap in here and as we kind of start to wind it down, as John would say, get ready for Nikolai Volkov. But in the coming weeks, get ready for some more really hard hitting episodes and some really cool interviews with some really unique guests that you will not find on any other podcasting platform. I can guarantee you that. And please continue to spread the word and just get out there and talk about the two-man power trip in as many places as possible because we appreciate every little bit of support that we get, whether it's out at a show or whether it's a mention on Twitter or whether it's just an email that says, hey, thanks, great job, great interview. We love it. Keep them coming and we will deliver as hard and as great as we possibly can for you, the listener of the two-man power trip of wrestling. So as the music starts to creep in, we're going to hit you with some pre-recorded two-man power trip of wrestling business by my tag team partner, and we're going to get you on over to our interview with Nikolai Volkov. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there. You can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. 
follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icons Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit the Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former WWF Tag Team Champion and a member of the 2005 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. He is the one, he is the only, Nikolai Volkov. Please enjoy. tonight is someone I am absolutely, I am so excited to be speaking with, and I just politely ask that you all please rise as I welcome in a former WWF Tag Team Champion and a WWE Hall of Famer, the class of 2005, perhaps the most stacked class ever of the WWE Hall of Fame. He is the one and only Nikolai Volkov. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. My pleasure. I'm glad, glad to be with you guys. Uh, oh, it's uh, it's so great to have you on the line. It's so great to talk to you about the things that have gone on in your career because John and I are huge fans growing up in that 1980s era where wrestling was the biggest I, thing. I on remember. The I used to watch you when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that I used to play with the Nikolai Volkov uh, action figure. And I hate to say it, but Nikolai Volkov used to take quite a beating because he had the best little punch that he, uh, you know, could go back at the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's. But looking back at that 1980s era, and that's where a lot of the fans today, they remember you and they love you so much. Did you think wrestling was going to blow up to the extreme height that it did? Because it's so timeless when we look back at all those er those hours and just those great matches from back in the 80s. But you know, wrestling was always number one sport in the United States. You know, they draw um, more people than the other sport, more the football, more the baseball. You know, football, baseball, they are seasonal wrestling all year around. And then uh, wrestling, you run so many different towns every now. You know, so many different towns every now. So always been one of the best uh, entertainment sports in the world. 
Oh, it's uh, it's so great, and especially with your career, I love that you know you translated so well between the eras. But I think all so many fans do remember from that 1980s era, the Saturday Night's Main Event era, the WrestleMania era, and we're going to definitely touch on some of those early days of your career and your battles with Bruno and your battles. Uh, all over the world, in Japan, and, and all the different territories you've been in. But just I want to stick with, I can, uh, about saying the, the WWE Hall of Fame and the class of 2005, being alongside your partner, the Iron Sheik, being alongside the late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper, being alongside Hulk Hogan. What did that mean to you to be on that stage with those guys back in 2005 and see the class that you guys had? Because you really redefined the era of pro wrestling. But one of the best, you know, moments uh, in my career that I could remember is uh, when I uh, first time come to the United States. That was in 1970, and I'm um, at Madison Square Garden for first time. I wrestled Bruno San Martino on many event. That was the first time Madison Square Garden was sold out. I was uh, never forget that match because I was so young. I could not speak English, and uh, <laughs> it was a great time. I couldn't believe it, and they draw so many people. We uh, we just had the opportunity to speak to Bruno a few weeks back, and we talked about Madison Square Garden and what it meant to his career. And, yeah, that night that you and Bruno met in the ring, the biggest gate at that time in Madison Square Garden history, and looking across the ring at Bruno and how much the fans loved him and how much they wanted to just – they wanted him to beat you so bad. But how was it working <laughs> with R- Bruno back then when he really was the king of that New York territory? Oh, Bruno was, you know, a very strong guy. I was European weightlifting champion, and Bruno was a very good uh, weightlifting, very strong guy, good wrestler, and uh, very popular, very strong, uh, and plus a beautiful, honest, decent man. And still to this day, I mean, he's so passionate about those stories, still passionate about that era of wrestling, and you talk about coming to the United States and not knowing how to speak English, and I think... Getting into New York, that's got to be some culture shock, to say the least, in that Madison Square Garden crowd who loved oh Bruno God, yeah. <laughs> so much. But did you like that Madison Square Garden crowd, that raucous New York City fan base? Oh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Uh, first time I come to New York, I've been going on Broadway, see the restaurant, I look outside, the people dress up, walking back and forth, you know, uh, show people, you know, those, uh, what do you call uh, a uh, little uh, theater they have, a uh, live, live uh, theater uh, with, uh, or show business. It was unbelievable. I could not believe it. And, uh, and, and there was, you know, just big difference uh, from back home, yeah. And the problem and was talk- I could not speak English. <laughs> And you know what, in New York, though, but New York's like a melting pot, you know, in New York, there's so many different outlets there for people who are coming into the country, and they can learn, you know, they can learn just from people who speak their language, because New York is such a, a wide variety of uh, yeah. of life out there, but you know what, I think it's really awesome about your story, too, is not only the fact that you came to the United States, you did not speak English, but how you got into professional wrestling and how you kind of were mentored by the legendary Stu Hart up in Calgary. But kind of talk about Stu Hart and getting into wrestling uh, on those early stages of your career. Well, Stu Hart was a, it was a Canadian amateur champion. He was a good wrestler, and uh, he was a good after the professional wrestler. And uh, when I met him, Stu was up in, a, in an age, and he was over 50s, I guess. 
but he was still good, good uh, wrestler, and I used to go to his uh, basement, they call it dungeon, and uh, he showed me the ropes, and he showed me lots of things, and and I always have a good memory, but too hard. The first man to try to help me in, this, in professional wrestling, to try to you know teach me to be a professional wrestler. But the reason why I come to this country is to be is is to be professional wrestler because that time in Europe, in a communist country, you didn't have uh, you didn't have professional wrestling. You have uh, amateur wrestling. And my grandfather, who was killed by first communist bastards. Uh, a uh, long, long time ago, uh, he was a world champion wrestler. He was a bodyguard for uh, King Franz Joseph, House of Hungarian Monarchy, and we could not talk about him because uh, he was against, uh, you know, the politics, uh, especially communism. And then when I escaped here, I met uh, manager Freddie Blassie, and he told me, "Nikola, you had to be, you had to be, prote- to be Russia, you had to protect the love." Uh, be a communist, you know, so these people, you can show those people what communism is, you know, that way you might, might help, you know, you might help uh, the cause to knock it down, to knock communism down. So I did my best, and believe me, it was unbelievable. People was uh, people was there, you know, there was a cold war between Russia and the United States, and uh, my mother was Russian, my father is Croatian, my grandmother is Italian, and I speak all three languages. And see, that's such a great that's such a great story too. Because yeah, Freddie Blassie told you to embrace the communism and show the audience that as you portraying yeah. a communist character, that this is what you know. It's almost like it's uh, going to be a parody of what the communist uh, you know people were and stuff. And that's just it's so cool to know that you were so against it, yet you played a communist character for so long. But was there ever a time where you got a little like okay? You know, I don't, I'm tired of the fans hating me. I don't really like being portrayed as a communist anymore when nobody knew at that time that you were so against it, but Freddie Blassie said you got to embrace it. Yeah, well, it, it was no easy, believe me. It's no easy, but I had to do the job, so I did the job the best I could. And then when comments in my fallout, I said, that's it. That's it for me. That's enough. That's enough of this uh, communism uh, masquerade and... Uh, and start to sing Russia and Sri Lanka. Uh, my partner Boris Zukov uh, turned against me, and uh, when I came to the ring, I, I took the mic and and I sing God bless America, uh, America and Sri Lanka. And uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, the crowd popped up so much. It was unbelievable. I never forget that moment. That was one of the best explosions uh, I ever had in the ring. <laughs> hmm. Pretty crazy the way the wrestling business is. How you know yeah. you can turn turn to be a quote-unquote good guy mm-hmm. and sing the national anthem, you know, and yeah, get that kind of reaction. Yeah, but it was a long, long time in waiting for that, you know, so, mm-hmm. so it was a long time in waiting for that, so it was kind of like an explosion, you know, but it, it was, everything was good. Now, I don't know how much you pay attention to, you know, the politics going on now with the national anthem. Do you you, you uh, pay attention to any of that, how, how people aren't standing for the national anthem, how they're kneeling? Do you ever... Uh, you care about stuff like that? Well, you know, national anthem the country is you present the country. If you're American, you should, you should, you know, you should represent America with, with honesty, decency, or whatever. And uh, uh, lots of people get a little bit mixed up here and there, I guess. 
that's always happened. Nobody perfect, but uh, I, I I love to be here because maybe we are not the greatest places in the world, but I think it's the best place to be and live in it. Very very true, and uh, you know obviously that's more the political end of it. But you know more more you know for part of your wrestling career, do you find it funny that singing became a part of your gimmick? You know almost. Uh, a part of you that you you know you were singing the national mm-hmm. anthem. Do you find that funny? Oh, kind of. I know when I was when I was uh, when I was uh, younger, my grandfather was opera singer. He was a bass, oh. and uh, and and I had pretty decent voice when I was a young kid. And he took me to his uh, opera teacher. It was the summertime. You were off the school, you know. All my friends would go outside, play, you know, swimming, play soccer, you know, stuff like that. I was going to teach it. I was practicing my voice, you know. And uh, I took uh, I took two lessons. That was it. Couldn't take it no more. Especially in the summer when I have up, I love to go play outside. I love to play, you know. Love to work out. Like to play uh, sports and swimming, you know. And, and just summer, no school, you know. It was it was hard. So, but then when I come uh, when I come here. And the reason why I started singing Russian national anthem is I was working on a Mid South for that time Mid South uh, championship and uh, and uh, I beat that uh, for the Southern uh, Southern belt uh, I beat Magnum PA, what a nice guy. And uh, I just saw uh, that was happening probably in eighties. I just met him for the first time again a couple of days ago. I was glad to see him, and uh, he was a good guy. And the reason when I started to go to Russian Atlanta, because when I was a mid-south, the promoter at the time, uh, Bill Walsh, decided that it'd be good to have uh, uh, Russian uh, National Atlanta monotape. So I called my mother to send me one. I couldn't find it. <laughs> and she <laughs> sent me one, and uh, and I gave it to the, the time was a... Uh, Grizzly Smith, there was a, a Jake Roberts' father. He was a kind of agent for in the mid south, mm-hmm. and, and he told me, I said, Nikolai, um, office called me up. Uh, give me your tape tonight. We will have a show someplace, small place in Arkansas. I said, I will take it to office and make some copy because we only have one tape, you know, and it's going so good. We don't want to, you know, something happen to tape that we don't have no more rational lantern. So. I gave him the tape, and next day it was, I never forget, it was in New Orleans and in a in a big stadium place. We have like over 20,000 people. And this is me come to me and said, Nikolai, today uh, uh, is the worst day in my life. I said, what happened? I said, I forgot your tape, and I'm going to be fine, $1,000, and uh, I'm not going to make my money tonight. I just stay in the office. I said, Grizzly, don't worry about it. I have something better than tape. What do you mean? I said, what are we going to announce? Uh, the junkyard dog stole. Uh, I said, I go apologize people. Tell them that uh, I'm sorry and I apologize. They don't be able to hold uh, plain tape or Russian national anthem because junkyard dog stole it and destroyed it. But and when I said that, the people, man, they were so happy. They jumping up like crazy. They were <laughs> screaming. They were yelling. I happy to say, but however, I still, I want you all to stand up because I will sing Russian and Shalanta. Wow. Do you must see the change of the mood of the people? <laughs> From yelling, screaming, and happiness to sadness and hate. 
Yeah, when I saw Ziggy, they start to stomp their feet on a, on a, on those uh, uh, we call steel bleachers. And that was the first time I got a little bit concerned and scared on the ring because I told the whole building go fall down. <laughs> and after that, and after that night, that was and then I thought that that was a, that was a born you know new Nikolai Vukovic Russian in Toronto. Amazing story. I I love that. That's so cool because you're so associated with singing the national anthem and so associated with the crowd just going nuts because of how much they absolutely hate it. But did you really, really enjoy your time down there in the Mid-South? Because, like you said, we were with Magnum um, on Saturday, and he had nothing but great things to say about you. Yeah, I like it. like a Mid-South. You know, nice people, nice food, you know, and... Uh... It was nice and warm. <laughs> it was nice and warm, you know, no ice on the road. <laughs> hmm. We used to be used to drive. We used to fly. Some long, long trips we used to fly, but most of it used to drive, you know. And uh, it, was, it was good. What was it like working for a guy like Cowboy Bill Watts? Cowboy Watts. Bill Watts was a good guy. He was a good athlete, you know. He was a good athlete himself. And, uh, and he, loved, uh, he loved football. He loved wrestling. And he was a great guy. I wrestled him uh, many times. And it was good. I enjoyed it. And you had a big feud down there. I mean, you had a lot of good feuds down there, but a longer feud you had was against a guy, Terry Taylor, who was a Terry pretty Taylor, yeah, wrestler. Yeah, Ter- yeah. yeah. Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor was a, it was a good guy. You know, we have a long feud. We have a long feud with him. Yeah. And uh, then I, uh, I had the. Uh, Another guy, he was American, and his name was uh, Mountain Mike. And he changed his name to the uh, Brezhnikov. Uh, he became one of the, he became my partner. <laughs> he turned against uh, America. It, it was it was unbelievable. It was great. <laughs> and also, you teamed with uh, Cruiser, uh, Crusher Krusev or Crusher Darso down there as well, and you guys made pretty yeah, yeah. formidable Russian Dorso, tank team. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Can you guys? I, I, I switch him. I switch him to. I switch him to Russian. You know, he said uh, they asked him who's better wrestling, me or the, some other guy, Doctor Steve Williams. So Nikolai Vuk is much more stronger and, and better looking. Everything else, and, and people will start hating right away. They would say. Hmm. Definitely did. You guys definitely made it pretty formidable and intimidating, you know, Russian tag team, Russian force. And I remember you guys shooting with the Rock and Roll Express, another great tag team, smaller guys. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah you Rock and Roll Express, guys. yeah, yeah. Both good guys, good guys all the time. It was the rest of me. I was uh, partner with Ivan Kolov. Yes. Ivan Kolov was my partner all the time, too. That was a good tag team. I love Ivan Kolov. And... Uh, we 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 was in Florida. We have uh, Florida uh, uh, tag team belts, and uh, I remember when I was Rock and Roll Express, and the guy with the blonde hair. What's the name? Uh, for that name. Two guys. You know the name of two guys? Ricky and Robert. Yeah, Ricky and Robert. Yeah, the guy with the blonde hair was Ricky, right? Yeah, Ricky, yep. Yeah, Ricky, yeah. Ricky, uh, wrestled with me in the ring, and he took this stupid bump, uh, stupid bump, and his shoulder come out. 
Yeah, his shoulder came out. I said, whoa, his shoulder came out. I said, okay. So I grabbed his shoulder, put that back in. <laughs> there is a wrestling bed, but no difference. And I told him, go see the hospital later on. I said, go, go see the hospital, see what happened. You know, I asked the doctor how it was. I put that in. I think, I think it's very good. You know, So the doctor told me, whoever did they did a good job. You know, nothing we have to do. And that was the funniest story in, my, in the wrestling <laughs> Good stuff, and some of these injury stories are great. But, you know, another thing about funny stories that we always have on this show, everyone always has, is an Andre the Giant story. And obviously, you know, you mentioned Florida, and obviously you spent some time with the WWF as well. What? Do you have some good Andre the Giant stories? Well, one time I met Andre the Giant when I was still in Canada. In oh. Canada, I was wrestling uh, for Jacques Rougeau or Jacques... Uh, uh, John Rougeau and Jacques Rougeau, they were two brothers, they own territory in Montreal. And uh, the giant was there, and uh, we were going to uh, Montreal to Quebec City, and we stopped at this, uh, like, half a place for this restaurant. It was a Greek restaurant, and we have lots of European wrestlers that love lamb, you know, and the Greek have feed beautiful lamb and fish and octopus that, that I like. <laughs> So we stopped there all the time, and Andre liked it too. So we get out of the restaurant. Uh, we get out of the restaurant. This uh, little drunk Frenchman come to Andre and say, "Oh my God!" Speaking French, he said, "Oh my God! Look at that big monkey, big giant, you know, big freak." You know. So giant got a little bit upset. You know, he said, "You know, you better watch what you're saying." So they come and hit Andre and run to that car, and they have a little fort wagon. They jump in the Volkswagen. Andre got so mad, he come over there, pick up a uh, Volkswagen with one hand, and turn it over on the roof. <laughs> wow. It turned over on the roof. And the, uh, the two guys, they, they called for, uh, police come. They said, oh, yeah, it was a big, 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 big giant. They turned out car, and they were so drunk, police took and put them in jail. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny story about giant. That is great. Wow. And when I first met Andre the Giant, he could not speak uh, English either. He speaks, but his mother was Polish. Uh, His father was uh, from Europe too. Last name was Muslim, I believe. Uh, And then uh, I can speak to him in Polish. He he speaks Polish, yeah. Which is very cool, and it's pretty funny that you don't mess with a giant if you're a small guy or if you have no, a small no, car. No, no, he would just lean on you, he could hurt you. He become, you know, he become, uh, he was over 500 pounds. He had 24 size feet, and his hands are bigger than uh, two of mine put together. Oh my god. Yeah. At 24, I have a, my size shoes is 15, you know, it's pretty big, but 24 is a big difference. He's a big boy. So he was a little, a little beautiful person. He's a giant, you know, Mother Nature, I guess, help him, you know. They're beautiful, beautiful people. Except last life, his life, he suffered a lot. He had lots of pain. He begged, you know, his back, you know, we have that disease when you grow, when you never stop growing, you know. And then sometimes when he go out the proportions, he have lots of band, uh, knee pain, back pain, and he have it, he suffer, and uh, 
and he's going to friends to bury his father, and they find him dead in his room next day he died too. But people like him, they don't live long. You know, they live probably about 50, 60 years. Mm. Like that. And you spent a lot of time with him in person. Japan. Oh, yeah. In Japan, uh, actually, in Japan, me, me and the giant, we were taking partners. Against, against two Japanese wrestlers, uh, Inoki and uh, Sakaguchi. Sakaguchi was a Japanese judo champion. Um, very good wrestler. Inoki was a very good wrestler. Definitely. And obviously, Inoki, a pretty accomplished wrestler on his own. Did you like going over to Japan and, and wrestling, you know, legends like Inoki and things like that? Yeah, I used to like going to Japan because, you know... Uh, American guys, uh, they before Japan tour was six feet. Yeah, it was a six feet tour. But then American guys, uh, they didn't like it too much because they missed the you know television, English language, and, and the food. I was I was okay. I, I love fish, so I could eat fish, you know, and uh, I like rice, and uh, it was okay. It was okay. You don't have to drive. Everything was first class. You have nice first class hotel every night. Uh, transportation was the first class. Most of we fly over there from Little Island to another Island. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. And then obviously, you know, you spent some time in New Japan, which is like the Inoki group with guys like Fujinami and Fujiwara. And yeah, Fujinami. Yeah, Fujinami was a very, very good wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw him. He he just come here for the. New York, they put him in the Hall of Fame. He was a good, he deserved it. He was a good guy. Mm. And then, you know, the, the old Japan, the, the different part of Japan that you worked with, old Japan, that was Giant Baba. Did you look yeah, at yeah. Giant Yeah, Baba? Giant Baba. But the first, first time in Japan, I worked with Giant Baba, yeah. Giant, people don't know, Giant Baba was a, a pitcher for uh, Tokyo Giants. Are you at Tokyo Giants? Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, yeah, Tokyo Giants, yeah. Then later on, uh, he retired from there, he became a wrestler. But he was a big guy, big, uh, big guy. You know, we have the same, same, same situation. Like under the giant, you know, when you start growing and growing, my guy, he was seven foot tall. Yeah, mostly big guys are nice person. <laughs> hmm. And you know, did you prefer working with Giant Baba in all Japan, or did you prefer working with uh, Noki in New Japan? Well, Inoki was a good good wrestler, good wrestler, you know, a good guy, and uh, I enjoyed work both of them. Yeah, Inoki was working for me, Baba too, but then they split later on. They split Inoki stuff, his own whole corporation, you know, and uh... yeah, and uh, with all Japan in particular, you ended up working with some pretty good guys. You know, we we mentioned uh, the Andre the Giants and all that stuff, but. You worked with a guy, Bruiser Brody. What were your kind of memories of working with Brody? Because that's got to be a gigantic tag team. Yeah. With him. Well, Bruiser Brody was my tag team in Japan In Japan, many times. Uh, I, I enjoyed working with him. He was a good, big, tough guy. Uh, you know, and uh, he let you know. <laughs> he would <was laughs> not take care of him. He take care, not back it down. You know, he, he was always front. And he was ready for any kind of action, and and I enjoy it. I like it. And there's a lot of tag team partners that you've had, and I think we've covered a couple of pretty good ones, but we haven't mentioned the Iron Sheik, who I think a lot of the fans remember you most uh, with, the Iron Sheik and WrestleMania one, and winning the WWF Tag Team Championship. But I think the Iron Sheik's reputation has kind of superseded him 
in recent years when he's taken on kind of this a uh, little bit more of an eccentric persona. But what are your memories of uh, getting to team with the Sheik at that point and the havoc that you guys caused? Because WrestleMania won when you won those belts. That was another time you sent that New York crowd into an absolute frenzy. Well, me and Sheik was like odd couple. You know, Sheik, I love to party, love to drink. I don't like to party. I don't like to drink. I just, I just love to, you know. I come here. I try to make, uh, to try to make America my dream. You know, uh, dream come true. And uh, I want to save money all I could make it. You know, and uh, do something. So when I retire, you know, when I retire, um, to stay healthy, uh, to stay healthy when you party and do. Uh, you know, don't take care of yourself. You don't take care of your body either. And we see, like I said, we see the Sheik now, and he's, uh, you know, he definitely, he takes it, uh, he takes it a little far sometimes with some of the things that he says, but, you know, we've always heard the stories of the Sheik, you know, still maintaining, being a good guy, uh, you know, when it comes to fans. And, oh, and yeah, being she, a, a she, guy. Uh, she is a person, yeah, Sheik is a person, is a beautiful person. Uh, he's have a big heart of his whole body. And we, me and Sheik, we we have uh, we call uh, sometimes uh, we go different ways, but we never have argument. We never never have argument because I respect him, he respects me, and uh, sometimes I can tell you a story like uh, we was in Los Angeles and we have a show finished in the uh, night time like. Uh, uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, but you have a late flight to New York called a shut eye, shut eye, and uh, we tried to make it to the airport, and there was not much time. You have to, you have to, you know, sometimes you have to change our clothes in a taxi and you know, take it to the airport from the arena right to the airport, and uh, all night uh, she had lots of friends, lots of Iranian people, friend there, and, and I met lots of Iranian people, and they have a beautiful food, you know, Persian food. I love that abgust, uh, abgust. Uh, that's lamb with uh, with the chickpeas, carrots, and they mix it. It's unbelievable. I love that. That was my favorite uh, Persian uh, food, Persian food, and. Uh, one time, uh, I have some people from all country too. I met my uh, my friend. Uh, he's a, he was a priest in LA, uh, in LA, and uh, he came right to the airport. And she had his own people to him right to the airport, so we go separate way. And uh, I was in the airport like uh, ten minutes before flight, and you still pretty good shape that time if you are ten minutes before. So. <laughs> We look over there, big confusion on the main door of the airport. He's a sheik with his two bags, dressed up in his, uh, his uh, what do you call <laughs> wrestling boots and uh, wrestling uniform with a big uh, cap on top. He's, uh, he's screaming, he said, stop the plane, stop the plane. <laughs> <laughs> the police look at him. Man, they didn't know what's going on. He was like, you know, maybe somebody crazy guy tried to hear him. <laughs> Do something bad? I said no, no, no. So that's I don't see. He just lay for his flight. He don't speak good English. I said, please help him. So the police got there to help him to the plane. He made the flight. Everything was okay. <laughs> but if you can see him coming on 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 the door of the airport, open up the door, all the stuff. See him. He said, stop the plane. Stop. <laughs> it oh, was that's unbelievable. Great. 
That's great. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I can remember. Yeah, we was we were late for the plane, you know, and I would say, let's go, Sheik, and people would come ask for autographs. And I say, I'm sorry, son, I have no time. Next time, I'll have no time now. And Nicholas said, oh, Nicholas, you stupid son of a bitch. You always sign autographs for the kids. And he would open his bag, get his picture out, and give, give all the kids uh, out of their free pictures. And one time, he missed the plane for that. Oh, my so gosh. See, and that's the kind of stuff a, that gets overlooked. Good heart, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, and that, heart, that's what's yeah. unfortunate. You know, he it gets overlooked yeah. because, you know, you hear the ranting and the craziness and some of the stuff. And poor Brian Blair that he said so many crazy things about. But, you know, you hear the good stories about the Sheik, and that's nice to uh, to hear because, again, you know, we think back then, you know, the Cold War, and we think you 2 is just these big, huge heels. And, of course, you know, you got to make time for the fans, and that's uh, – that's really, really awesome. But, you know, we think about that tag team, but we also think about the first time that we really got to see Nikolai kind of go off on his own, and that was on Saturday night's main event against Hulk Hogan in the infamous flag match on Saturday night's yeah. main event. But what are some of your memories of that flag match at the Meadowlands Arena on one of those first Saturday night main event shows? Yeah, that was the first time Meadowlands Arena was sold out there. So I was on many main with Hulk Hogan, and uh, at that time it was uh, Alco Elmer Redding too. I don't remember that, I guess. And uh, it was a flag match, me against Hulk Hogan. It was it was pretty good. He was a you know decent guy, you know, not bad guy. He was uh, uh, he was the one done to start changing wrestling to you know from wrestling to entertainment. You just say it right there and. Uh, he knows the rest. And do you think that he was the? Uh, you think he was the right guy to lead the charge uh, at that point with the big, you know, again with the big muscles, the mustache, you know, the colors. You think Hogan was the right guy at the right time? Yeah, he was. He was in the right place at the right time. Yes. <laughs> a lot of guys to choose from, and a lot of guys that you definitely passed through other territories with in the WWF, which I think is really cool because already guys that you've mentioned a couple of times are in the WWF and kind of all the territories came into one spot. But when those territories were gone, do you think that was good for the business? Or do you think that, that if the territories were still, you know, going strong, that maybe uh, professional wrestling even today would be even bigger than it is now? Well, you know, everything changed. Like you said, uh, you cannot you cannot jump in the river the same place because it's running. Just the people and the mentality of the people and the thinking of the people changing, you know, and everything is changing. So, so, so wrestling change change with the time too. You know what I mean? Do you do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's like if it doesn't change, it just stays the same. It could become stale. And you never know. With all the promoters, it could have uh, it could have been abolished a few years down the road anyway, even without the help of Vince. But you know, I mentioned you as a singles, but back to being a tag. After you kind of were done with the uh, the Iron Sheik and Classy Freddie Blassie retired, you were paired with Slick, and they brought in Boris Zukov, and you guys became the Bolsheviks. And you look at the tag teams at that time, like the Killer Bees and Demolition and the Hart Foundation and the Rougeau Brothers, one of the deepest tag team rosters ever. Did you like teaming with uh, Boris in the WWF and having all the different kinds of yeah, opponents? Yeah, uh, Boris was another nice guy. Yeah, Boris was another nice guy. You know, he was a, another another nice guy, and I, I and uh, 
think about that. And guess what? I just saw him uh, a couple of weeks ago. We have a big convention right. in Philadelphia, and we were uh, sitting at the same table, you know, after uh, selling uh, the promoter did, out of their pictures. And Brolis uh, was there, and Boris was there. I didn't almost recognize him. He lost lots of weight, and uh, he had a beer. Uh, still the same guy. That's kind of, that's funny. We didn't think about that, you know, with Boris Zukov having the big uh, long beard and, and looking a little different. We always picture you guys kind of staying the same because whenever you see you at one of the conventions or one of the shows, you always have the trademark jacket, and that's so cool to see that you've got that going because it triggers all the memories. It triggers all the fun times. And that's oh, yeah, with yeah, Boris. people like yeah, people like to, you know, take a picture with me with my jacket, my hat on, you know, they, I love it because they remember that, the jacket, and, uh, and, uh, but I switched, you know, when I switched, I'm a good guy, uh, Mr. I got the brand new jacket, you know, white jacket with nice American emblem on the back, you know, and, uh, and I told him, uh, I, I took my old jacket, put American flag and Russian flag, you know, and he said, I like that, I like that one better, so keep that one. And I remember that like it was yesterday when the uh, the Russian flag and the American flag met on the jacket and you were teaming with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But did you like finally being able to become a baby face and get cheered by the fans? Because it was great that you finally switched sides. You turned on, or Boris Zukov and you, you guys broke up and you became that baby face. Did you like finally being able to switch over? Yes, yes. It was a time for switch over because, like I said, time changed. You know, time was changing. Everything was changing. Uh, Communism is uh, was finished, you know, and uh, everything was it was changed. It was no more Russia kind of uh, let other countries uh, freedom like Ukraine, uh, Belarus, uh, Belarus, uh, Lithuania, uh, stuff like that. So communism, communism was gone. That was it. It was uh, it was a great time, and it was so awesome to see you two teaming up, you and the Hacksaw. What a great duo. You guys made great opponents, but you also made a pretty formidable team. And, again, you know, after a, kind of a brief exit from the WWF, you came back a few years down the road, but this time it was in a different role, and you were in the crowd, and you were kind of getting picked on by the Million Dollar Man. And to me, another one that I just this was, I thought this was so great just to have you back on television but you kind of became the foil of the Million Dollar Man. But did you like that role of being the, uh, you know, part of the Million Dollar Corporation, but almost like a reluctant member of DiBiase's well, crew? Yeah. And, uh, again, it was great to see you back, yeah. but it was uh, a different role again. Yeah, it was a different role again. Like I said, people change, time change, you know, and you have to, you, you have to bend with the wind, otherwise it's going to blow you away. <laughs> You know, if you like it or not, if you don't bend with the wind, it will knock you away. And what did you think about that point? What did you think about how the roster had changed at that point, the younger guys starting to come in and really uh, the changing of the guard was beginning to take place with uh, the WWF? Well, it was a new generation of wrestling, you know. A new generation of wrestling, you know, they have lots of young kids, and uh, it was good. That was good. I still there today. It's very good. I, I was in the last couple of WrestleManias, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it, and it's still it's one of the biggest shows ever. They have last WrestleMania in Dallas, uh, Texas. Dallas, Texas. We draw uh, hundred thousand people, and uh, it's unbelievable. 
Uh, when I was there, uh, I met people from Europe, from uh, Poland, from Italy, uh, and come there, you know, for the rest of Romania, and, and uh, I could speak them with their languages from Italy. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. It's one of the biggest uh, uh, main event, uh, sports main event in the whole United States, in the whole world. Do you enjoy going back and doing a lot of the WWE appearances? I mean, you made some sporadic appearances for the WWE over the years. Do you really enjoy kind of going back and, and putting your face back on TV or showing back up at WrestleMania and stuff? Yes. Yes, it's good because I still wrestle. I will be I will be 70 years old next week, October 14. Stay, stay in the shape, work out a little bit, and, uh, and I still wrestle. I wrestled last week, I could wrestle uh, next week, and I do a lot of uh, uh, personal appearance. And, uh, and the reason I'm doing that because that's where you stay in shape. If you stay in shape, you're better off. I like to be healthy, that's all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you got to stay in shape and you got to stay healthy, and you, you are just looking great for sure. And, you know, I just wanted to go back, if I could. Where did the name Nikolai Volkov come from? Because you weren't Nikolai Volkov at first. You were actually one of the Mongols. Where did the name Nikolai Volkov come from? Well, the, Nikolai Volkov was, it was, uh, it was uh, from my, uh, my my mother's side of the family, the Russian side of the family, was a Volkov. Volkov in Russia means wolf. Took it from there. Oh, okay. I was always very curious about that because obviously, you know, you're one of the Mongols yeah. and you become Nikolai Volkov and then obviously, you know, we talked about yeah, it earlier. And Nikolai is my middle, my middle name. Anyhow. Oh, okay. So all coming together and then obviously you become Nikolai, Nikolai Volkov and you have that great yeah. feud with Bruno. You sell out MSG eventually. You know, you go for the WWF, the world title and everything else, but you know, thinking back as I start to wind it down here, and thinking back at your career, I mean, we mentioned Bruno. You had a world title matches against Bob Backlund as well, but do you have a couple of favorite matches or, or maybe a favorite match that sticks out in your career? Well, one of the, one of the most matches that stick in my career, it was well, probably one of the hardest matches I ever had in my whole life, is uh, in 1974 when I wrestled Bruno Martino in Metro Square Garden for one hour to a draw. That was the first time anybody wrestled Mr. Square Garden for one hour, and probably last time we wrestled for one hour or so draw. Many went. And it's got to be something special at MSG, you know, in New York City under the bright lights and against Bruno, who was the big star at the time. So it's quite an honor to be considered, you know, something like that. Yes. Yeah, Bruno was the one that the greatest. Uh, Bruno was still the greatest lesson ever lived. Here in the United States, professional wrestling. Yeah, he was the greatest, and uh, he's a beautiful person, and uh, and always loved to work with him. Now, thinking back, there was a, a match would probably not be considered one of your favorite, but you you could tell me how did it kind of uh, come about, or, or did you like it or not? It was when WrestleMania six it was you guys against the Hart Foundation. You kind of went to sing the national anthem. They ambushed you, and it becomes like about a twenty second match. What were your thoughts on, on that match against the Hart Foundation that night in Toronto? Well, 
you you have to do what is right to you know what is right at that time you know maybe it's no good this time but that time that was a right way to go you know and uh, that was so long ago to be honest with you I don't even remember <laughs> <laughs> when you wrestle when you almost wrestle almost every day every day you know three hundred about fifty days a year almost every day you know road every day you know. It's hard to remember all the time, but but the hard foundation it was good, you know. I love Bret Hart because I remember him when when I first come meet him in his home, his father at Dungeon. Uh, Bret Hart was only probably like ten years old, ten eight, ten eight years old, you know. So I know him for a long time. Thinking back, you work for Vince Senior and you work for Vince Junior. Is there a difference between yes. the two? Well. Uh, Vince Senior, Vince Senior was a, as everybody can say, he was a gentleman. He was a old, you know, old school, old school, you know, wrestler, you know, old school promoter. His word was his bond, and uh, and he was a beautiful, beautiful guy. And uh, and uh, Vince Junior, he took all bring the wrestling to the biggest level ever been. So can you, you cannot. Uh, Say nothing, uh, nothing bad, but but success, you know, success, and, uh, and that's it. Uh, Nikolai, this has been so much fun to spend a few minutes chatting about your career and talking about these great times. And as we wrap up here, we just want to end it on a on a really high note. And when you look back at everything, you look back at your absolute legendary career, Hall of Fame career. What is it you want the fans to remember about Nikolai Volkov at the end of the day? Well, I to remember that uh, I did my best to entertain all those people all these years, and uh, I love them all, and uh, and I'll still be around for a couple more years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and it has been quite the night. It's been quite the chat, and we really appreciate you coming on with us, and it's been our absolute pleasure. And for all those fans I told to please rise at the beginning of this interview, if they've been standing the whole time, that's their problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.